Well, yeah, let me just start uh, uh, kind of again by saying thank you guys for trying to make this uh, work. Uh, realize that there can be some frustrating things with technology, uh, but we're grateful for it that that we're allowed to do something here together. Uh, this is not this is not as good as the real thing being actually being together, uh, but it is something. So thank you for uh, trying to make this work with technology. And now, before we finish preaching through Esther, uh, which which we are going to do, we're going to finish preaching through Esther today. Um, I, I first want to say that that we are certainly in a season of lamenting and longing, lamenting and longing. And this is what I mean by that. I, I mean that that in this season we should, to some degree, be grieved about what is happening in our world right now. And we should be crying out to God for mercy and relief from this uh, virus and all the other problems that it is causing us, all the, all the, all the, the fallout from this. Uh, and one of the problems that the virus is causing is that it's keeping us from gathering in person which is such a, such a vital and important function of the church is the ability to gather and to be with one another. And so it truly does break my heart to not be with you uh, this morning. Um, again, thankful for technology, uh, uh, but, but listen, in no way think that this is an acceptable long-term plan uh, for how the church should, ga- should gather. And don't compare this to a normal uh, Sunday morning in-person gathering or else you will be greatly disappointed, um, as you should be. Because this, this, this break from gathering in person, it should be stirring in our souls a longing to be with one another. It should be stirring in our souls a newfound appreciation for what God has provided us when he gave us the gift of one another. And so, yes, lament right now, but also long, long for the day when we will once again gather in person. And I'm telling you, that day when we're all back together will be a day of celebration and rejoicing uh, when finally we are all back together in the same room. Uh, So this should be a season of both lamenting and longing, and we long for the day when we're once again all together. Okay, let's, uh, let's look now at Esther uh, uh, chapter 9, and I do want to pray uh, once more uh, before, before we jump in. So uh, pray with me and pray for me in this time, okay? Uh, Father God, we do ask that you would, uh, Lord, help me as I um, take on the task of preaching your word. Uh, Lord, if I'm... Um, honest. My, my uh, heart and my mind are distracted in this time, God. Uh, I ask that you would help them not be so. Help me be uh, focused on you and your word and your people. But Lord, I ask for your help. Um, right now I'm excited about this word I'm going to bring, uh, but my, my heart also hurts when I see uh, an empty, empty room. And so, Lord, we just, we ask for your help. Ask for your help. Ask your word to go forth powerfully. Um, and we ask that you would accomplish uh, what, you're, what you would accomplish through the, the preaching of your word. Prepare our, our hearts and our ears to receive this and hear it. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right. Well, we are uh, sorry about getting a little emotional there. I didn't realize that was going to happen. Um, uh, we are finishing the book of Esther this morning, and next week then we are going to start into the book of Colossians. And so if you want to be reading ahead about where we're going, I would maybe even encourage this with your city groups on the Zoom call to even read through the book of Colossians together. I think that would, might be a good thing. Uh, but Colossians is what we're going to start into next week, and this morning we are finishing the book of Esther. And while this isn't my ideal way to finish the book of Esther, uh, I'm trying to rest in the providence of God, right? That, that is something we should be learning about in the book of Esther. Uh, hopefully it's something you've come to learn more about, to appreciate more, to believe, to rest in this doctrine of the providence of God. And so if you're needing some hope and reaffirmation about the providence of God, go back and read this book again by yourself or with your family and be amazed at how even though God is not explicitly mentioned on any page, we can't help but see him on every page of the book of Esther. And the same is true in our lives, right? That we've learned that, that even at times where it seems like God is hidden, even at times where we can't see how he is working, we know that he is working. He is on every page of this book and he is on every page of our lives as well. And so in this final sermon of Esther, I've titled the sermon, Never Forget. Okay, never forget. Because you see, we are a people who are prone to forget, we, we are. We, we are prone to forget God. We're prone to forget his promises, his providence. We're prone to forget his power and his presence. We're prone to forget his goodness and his wisdom. We're prone to forget some things about ourselves as well, right? We're prone to forget our frailty. We're prone to forget the brevity of our life in this world. We're prone to forget just how utterly dependent we are upon God for every breath in our lungs, right? And so, so this morning, I want to highlight four things that we should never forget. And I could have made a list of like a thousand things we should never forget, but, but we're going to pull from this passage four things that we should never forget and really mainly just spend time on two of them. And then the other two points are going to be more calls to action, kind of as we, as we exit the book of Esther, as we go into the world, what should we never forget? So look with me at Esther chapter 9, and, uh, and, and remember Esther chapter 9, it's picking up about nine months after Esther chapter 8. And so to recap a little bit, okay, for those that, that, that have forgotten where we're at in the story, Haman, the enemy of God's people, has been killed. Mordecai has been exalted into his position. And while the decree of Haman is still in effect, which the decree of Haman said that the Persian Empire had permission to annihilate the Jews on this certain day at the end of the year, okay, that decree is still in effect. Uh, but now a second decree has been written giving permission for the Jews to defend themselves. And so there was great joy that we saw last chapter when the, when the people of God received this second edict, this second decree that they they could defend themselves, but they still had to wait nine months for this day to come, this day that there were two decrees written about. They, they still had to wait nine months for this day to come. And then something that Brooke mentioned at Citigroup uh, was that, that uh, the people still had to fight, right? Like there was still this day coming where the people still had to participate. The people still had to fight. There were still going to be those that would come to attack them on this day. But what we 
see happen was on the very day that the enemies of God's people had planned to conquer them, the opposite happened. All right, the opposite happened. And so let's pick it up in verse 11. All right, there's, uh, we're going to go Esther 9, verse 11. And I'm going to try to do something fancy here just to impress you. We'll see if it works. Ah, yes. Okay. My mom's impressed. All right, here we go. Esther 9, verse 11. That very day, the number of those killed in Susa, the citadel, was reported to the king. And the king said to Queen Esther, In Susa, the citadel, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men and also the 10 sons of Haman. What then have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now, what is your wish? It shall be granted you. And what further is your request? It shall be fulfilled. Okay, so Xerxes reports to Esther that 500 men had been killed in Susa, in the capital city, and he asks what more she wants. Okay, verse 13. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the Jews who are in Susa be allowed tomorrow also to do according to this day's edict. And let the ten sons of Haman be hanged on the gallows. So the king commanded this to be done. A decree was issued in Susa, and the ten sons of Haman were hanged. The Jews who were in Susa gathered also on the fourteenth day of the month of Adar, and they killed three hundred men in Susa, but laid no hands on the plunder." Okay, here's, here's where some have criticized Esther for being a little bloodthirsty, okay? Uh, and, and which I don't necessarily agree with, but some have criticized Esther here for asking for another day of fighting, right? Another day of fighting in the capital city to, for, for her enemies to be destroyed. But, but I don't think it's necessarily that Esther is just being uh, bloodthirsty or wanting more killing to happen. I, I, I think she's actually demonstrating some wisdom here. She's demonstrating wisdom because by asking for another day of fighting in the capital city, um, it was wise because you have to understand that Haman was a pretty important and prominent guy, right? He was second in command, and therefore he probably had many faithful supporters and comrades specifically in the capital city of Susa. And so certainly these comrades of his would, would still want to carry out his plan and to seek to destroy God's people. Um, and so uh, Esther shows some wisdom by asking for another day of of uh, fighting specifically in Susa. And I think this is also an invitation. So, so we see some wisdom here from Esther, but I also think this is an invitation for us to laugh at the foolishness of the wicked. Which, which is one of the main points of the book of Esther, right? We should be learning about the providence of God, but then we should also be laughing at the foolishness of the wicked. Be, because look at this, on, the, on day two of fighting, there were still 300 men that hadn't learned their lesson on day one in the capital city, right? Like, like if, if day one, all the, all the victory that the Jewish people had on day one, if that didn't wake them up to have some sort of fear of God or at least the fear of Mordecai or Esther, um, I, I don't know what would wake them up. And so there, there's the foolishness of the wicked here still on day two. They think they can take out the people of God even after 500 of their comrades were killed in the city on day one and tens of thousands were killed uh, all throughout the empire. So Esther, she asks for permission 
for the fighting to continue in the capital for a second day, another day, and another 300 were killed. But, but look how many enemies across the empire um, there were who went to attack the Jews. Look at verse 16, Esther 9, verse 16. Now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also gathered to defend their lives and got relief from their enemies and killed 75,000 of those who hated them, but they laid no hands on the plunder. 75,000 were killed. People who hated God's people and had sought their destruction. But notice the last phrase in verse 16, they laid no hands on the plunder. All right, in chapter 9, we see this phrase a total of three times. And any time biblical writers include something three times, it's not that they have forgotten that they mentioned it already, uh, but they are emphasizing a point, okay? And so this is a point of emphasis we should be taking away, that that they laid no hands on the plunder. What the writer here is emphasizing is that this truly was self-defense, okay? This was self-defense. This was not the people of God trying to go get their neighbor's stuff. This was not an opportunity to get rich quick or by fighting people that you didn't like or didn't like you. Uh, No, this was the people of God uh, being given permission to defend themselves and protect their lives. And uh, three times we're told that uh, it's told to us that they laid no hands on the plunder. All right. And so on a day uh, that, that the people thought would be their destruction, they instead saw victory. They instead saw victory. On the day that the people thought Haman had determined their destiny, they saw that God had actually determined them to be preserved. All right, you remember back in chapter 3, Haman had cast lots, uh, which is what you would think of as rolling the dice, all right? He had cast lots, he had rolled the dice to set the day of destruction, to, to determine what day the Jews would be annihilated. And the lie that you could believe uh, all throughout this story, if you're not looking for the workings of God, the lie you could believe is that it was Haman who was determining the future of God's people. And if he determined them to be killed, then they would be killed. That's the lie you could believe. The other lie you could believe, since Haman had been casting lots or throwing dice, was that it was chance or fate that was determining the future of God's people. But church, never forget... Never forget, and here's, here's one thing that we should never forget, all right? One of the four we're going to talk about to, uh, this morning. Uh, never forget that only God determines the future of his people. Only God determines the future of his people. And I want to share a, few, a couple of their verses along those same lines. Proverbs 16, verse 33 says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Or Psalm 16, verse 5 and 6, The Lord is my chosen portion, right? He's my, he's my wealth, he's, he, and he's my cup, he's my pleasure, right? The Lord is my chosen portion and cup, you hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. 
Or what about Romans 8.28? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And isn't really the story of Esther showing Romans 8.28 to be true? Just as our own testimonies, just as testimonies from Janie and Don and from, from others, they show this to be true, that, that we know that for, all, for, for, for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Church, it can be so easy to believe that fate or chance determine our future. It can be so easy to believe that viruses or the economy or enemies or our government determines our future. But never forget, only God determines the future of his people. And as you look back throughout history, whether it was the plague in Rome back in the year A.D. 200 that caused nearly 5,000 deaths a day in the city of Rome, or whether it be the bubonic uh, plague that wiped out over 50% of Europe's population, or whether it was the cholera outbreak in London in the 1800s that Spurgeon pastored people through, what we see is that the church, the people of God, have all always come out of those times stronger, healthier, many times numerically larger, and with a revived love for God and a revived love for neighbor. The church has come out of these seasons with a renewed appreciation for the gathering of believers, for evangelism, for discipleship, for caring for the poor. And so church, I know many of us, we've been praying, um, we've been praying for revival. And while this isn't the way we would orchestrate or plan a revival, I would much rather like schedule it with a, with a tent and refreshments. Uh, this is often the way God works to bring about revival. And we really see this with any persecution or when any hardship or, or when any disease come upon uh, a culture or the church, we see that God is working in the midst of great sadness and despair, even disease and death, all of which are a result of sin entering into the world, but somehow and gloriously, oftentimes behind the scenes, God is working to strengthen and build his church. And I believe we will see the same thing happen with this current pandemic that we are dealing with now. And I'm not, I'm not trying to belittle any of the, the pain or the sadness or the hardships that we or others will have to endure, but I am saying do not despair, church. God is using this somehow, some way for the good of his people. So please never forget that only God determines the future of his people. Only God determines the future of his people. And listen, for, for, forgetting is not a problem that we just have in America in the year 2020, okay? Forgetting has been a problem that the people of God have always had. And this is why the Feast of Purim it was instituted by Esther and Mordecai at the end of this book. 
And really the whole book of Esther is kind of leading up to explain to Jewish people why they celebrate the Feast of Purim. All right, the Feast of Purim, it's also called the Feast of Lots, okay, because Haman cast lots, all right? So look uh, with me back at uh, Esther 9, and we're going to go to uh, verse uh, 20 now. Esther 9, verse 20. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in uh, all the provinces of King Xerxes, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and also the 15th day of the same year by year as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the months that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted uh, what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. Uh, for Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast poor, that is, cast lots, to crush and destroy them. But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his sons would be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, they called these days Purim after the term Pur. Therefore, uh, because of all that was written in this letter and of what they had faced in this matter and of what had happened to them, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them that without fail, they would keep these two days according to what was written and at the time appointed every year that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation and every clan, province, and city, and that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. All right. So the feast, the feast of Purim is still celebrated by Jewish people. And in fact, it was just a couple of weeks ago uh, that they celebrated this. It was March 9th and 10th of this year. And uh, typically what it looks like to celebrate the feast of Purim, it, leading up to it, uh, they'll commemorate it with a day of fasting uh, to recognize Esther's fasting uh, at, at the start of this story. And then they'll get together on Purim and they'll feast and they'll celebrate. They'll, usually, they'll, they'll publicly read the story story of Esther, both in the morning and in the evening. And when they read the story out loud, it's actually much more uh, fun than maybe how we read it, uh, because every time the name Haman is mentioned, uh, they, they set off some noisemakers or booze, or they stomp their feet to signify they're blotting out his name. Um, but the, 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 feast, uh, the Feast of Purim was instituted so that the people would remember the rest and relief that God provided them from their enemies. All right, the Feast of Purim, it was instituted so that people would remember, they would celebrate, they would remember the rest and relief that God provided for them. And I know we've talked about fasting some in this uh, book, mainly at the start of the book, which I do think fasting ha needs to have a place in our lives. But really, the Bible speaks way more about feasting and about celebrating. And, 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 and it's because it's all these scheduled plans and feasts that God has given to us that people are to remember and rest. Uh, they're to remember the rest and relief that God has provided them. 
And, and so, so, so too with us, church. Not that we're obligated to, to recognize the Feast of Purim, but we are got encouraged to celebrate and to remember the rest and relief that we have in Christ. And so that's, that's number two of things that we need to never forget, okay? Number two, never forget to celebrate the rest and relief we have in Christ, and maybe, uh, maybe we'll think of some other ways that we'll remember to celebrate as well. Maybe uh, a year from now, uh, we'll, we'll uh, remember this time where we were gathering on a Zoom call as opposed to in person. Maybe we'll, we'll come up with something for that. Uh, but never forget to celebrate the rest and relief we have in Christ. Jesus invites us in Matthew 11, verse 28. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, it's, it's one thing to know the rest and relief that we have in Christ, okay? It's one thing to know it. It's one thing to just know that we've been saved by grace and not by works, that we don't have to keep striving for our right standing with God. It's one thing to just know that we don't have to accomplish salvation for ourselves, but instead receive what Christ has accomplished for us on our behalf. It's, it's one thing to just know that we, we have relief from being slaves to sin. We no longer have to be controlled by sin. It's one thing to just know these things, all right? It's one thing to just know the rest and relief we have in Christ, but it's a whole different thing to experience the rest and relief we have in Christ. It's a whole other thing, dare I even say, to enjoy the rest and relief that faith in Christ provides us. And one of the ways we can experience what we know, okay, one of the ways we can experience what we know is by remembering to celebrate by remembering to celebrate. And one example of this uh, that we do at most weeks as a church is by celebrating the Lord's Supper, right? This is a way that we corporately uh, celebrate and remember what Christ has accomplished for us and the rest and relief that we have in Christ. Now, we're not going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning, which does hurt hurt me some that we're not, but that should, again, should be something that we long for, that we're longing to do once again when we can gather in person. But some other ways that we celebrate the rest and relief that we have in Christ, I would say the Sunday morning gathering, right, is another way that we celebrate and we remember the rest and relief we have in Christ. But my question to you is, how are you going to celebrate the rest and relief you have in Christ? Could it maybe be taking a weekly Sabbath, maybe a full day or a half a day or a chunk of time throughout your week where you really just stop, you stop doing, you stop uh, working, you stop striving, and you just rest, you just enjoy being with the Lord? Could it maybe be taking an hour out of your day to just sit with the Lord with his word open and in prayer? Could it maybe be uh, uh, 
sharing a meal with good friends. Maybe not this week, but maybe in a few weeks. Sharing a meal with good friends where you celebrate together and you remember the rest and relief that you have in Christ. Maybe it's uh, celebrating by sharing a testimony like we kind of heard this morning, right? Uh, sharing uh, either at Citigroup or sharing uh, with friends on, online or on the phone, sharing ways that you've seen God's grace in your life. That might be a way to remember to celebrate the rest and relief that we have in Christ. Maybe it's rethinking and reorienting uh, future holidays and how you, what you actually ultimately celebrate on those holidays with friends and family. But church, never forget to celebrate the rest and relief we have in Christ. There certainly is a time and place to grieve. There certainly is a time and place to lament, but we certainly must not forget to celebrate the rest and relief we have in Christ. Look back with me at Esther chapter 10. Uh, I'm winding things down, I promise. Uh, And we're gonna uh, get some calls to action here in Esther 10. So look back at Esther 10 verse one. King Xerxes imposed tax on the land and on the coastlines of the sea. All right, just just in case you forgot that Xerxes still has some power, just in case you thought he forgot about that bribe from Haman that he's missing out uh, on. No, he's gonna, he's still gonna tax the land. All right, verse two. And all the acts of his power and might and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. And let's just let that last phrase in Esther be our call to action this morning as we look at Mordecai. It says for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. Like in, in light of all the things we've learned about God throughout the story of Esther, these things should compel us to seek the welfare of our people and speak peace to our people. All right? If, if we never forget that only God determines the future of his people, And if we never forget to celebrate the rest and relief we have in Christ, then we should also never forget to seek the welfare of our people. And we should never forget to speak peace to our people. And oh church, what an opportunity we will have in the next few months and maybe even really in the next couple of years as we see the fallout of this virus and the effect that it will have on the economy and people's jobs and people's mental and emotional and physical health, what an opportunity we will have to seek the welfare of our people and to speak peace to our people. And so may we be prayerfully watchful for how we can love and serve and bless not only one another, but also our city. And may the church through this season be known for our compassionate care of the vulnerable, 
May we be known for our, our love for one another. And may we be a non-anxious presence in our city, speaking peace to our people. Speaking peace to our people. People are not at peace right now. And maybe you're not at peace right now, which is, which is okay. I get it. I was, I was telling Joshua this morning that, that uh, in, in one hour, I can go from thinking, um, you know, that maybe everyone's just overreacting to maybe we're not reacting enough to, uh, man, I think things are fine too. Man, things maybe get really bad. And, 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 and my emotions and my thoughts, that can all be happening in the same 15 minutes that I'm thinking all those things. And so people are not at peace right now. However, Jesus came to bring peace to his people. And we are to speak peace to one another. And we are to be a non-anxious presence in our cities, in our neighborhoods, in our communities right now, and speak peace to our people. Dad mentioned this verse uh, earlier on, but, but Jesus said to us, right, in, in John sixteen thirty three, he said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Peace. So let's, let's pray. Let's pray, church. Father God, we do thank you for the book of Esther. Father, we thank you for how we have learned about your providence. We thank you how we have seen you working on every page. We thank you for ways that we saw uh, things pointing to, to you, Jesus, and the redemption that you have brought your people. God, I ask that we would be a people that would never forget Lord, help us never forget that only you determine our future. Help us never forget to celebrate, God, the rest and relief that we have in Christ. And Lord, may that compel us to never forget to seek the welfare of our, one another and our city. And may we be messengers of peace to the world around us. Lord, may we experience peace as we rest in you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.